going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, picking up right where we left off last week, Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17 and we'll read through verse 31. Mark chapter 10, starting verse 17 and we'll read through verse 31. We'll probably just take it a couple of verses at a time since it's kind of a, a longer passage and just kind of break them down as we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 is where we'll start. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you this morning and I thank you for these words that we're going to read. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would uh, open our ears and our, our hearts to be able to hear what your word says and Speak to us in the way that we need to hear it, dear Lord. I pray that you keep our minds free of distractions, dear Lord, the worries and the stresses of the world, God. I pray that you would just keep those things from us in these few minutes, that you protect us from the enemy, that he wouldn't distract us. And I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would be able to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to bring glory to you. And so I pray that you would keep me humble and take away any fears, dear Lord, and open my mouth to speak and, uh, and, and teach your word in a way that's going to make sense to your people. And God, even where uh, I, I may mess up, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will fill in the gaps and that you, God, would speak to our hearts. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're kind of shifting gears a little bit from what we looked at last week. We were talking about little children. And Jesus said, look, uh, those of us who want to enter into the kingdom of God are to be like little children. We discussed several different ways that uh, he might have meant that. He didn't specify exactly what he meant there, but uh, one of the, the, the best possibilities, I believe, is that we are to have a childlike trust in him. We are to have a childlike dependency on him. That is, we are help, hopeless and helpless apart from Jesus Christ. And so, uh, just in the same way that a child is hopeless and helpless without a parent, without somebody to take care of the child, to feed the child, to change the child, to clean the child, to uh, all of these things that a child may need. Uh, in a sense, we are to be childlike in our trust of the Lord and our dependency on the Lord to know that he is a good heavenly father, that he will take care of us. And then we shift gears to kind of a whole different topic this morning. Uh, we are talking about a, a man that we could refer to as a rich young man or a rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and is asking about uh, obtaining eternal life. What must he do to obtain eternal life? Well, Jesus had just said that in the verses before. Uh, he, he, he spoke about being part of the kingdom of God, and that uh, term kingdom of God and the idea of eternal life with the Lord, those two things go together. And so it's possible that uh, Mark put these things in this order as well as the other gospel accounts. Maybe they happened in this order that, that they're written, or perhaps they were happened at different times, but they fit well together by placing, placing them in the order that they come. And so uh, we had saw that childlike faith Jesus referenced in the passages last week, and this week we'll look at this rich young ruler. In verse 17, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. Now, there's, this story is covered in Luke as well as in, as in Matthew. 
And Luke and Mark's accounts are very similar. They're, they're not too different. But there is one interesting difference that we see in Matthew's account in Matthew 19, if you want to go back and study that this week. And that is where it talks about the good teacher are good works. Now, in Mark's version here, the person who is coming to Jesus obviously recognizes Jesus as being someone special, as being something great, because this man runs up to Jesus and he kneels down before him and he says to him, teacher. He refers to him as teacher. So obviously this, 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 this man that is coming before Jesus recognizes something about Jesus. He is drawn to him. Uh, maybe unlike some of the Pharisees that we've seen throughout this point in Mark who refuse to accept Jesus or acknowledge Jesus' greatness. Uh, this guy does seem to acknowledge that there is something about Jesus that has drawn him to him. And he obviously recognizes him as someone special because he kneels down before him. Now, you don't kneel before people that you uh, consider to be ordinary, normal people. Uh, you kneel before uh, kings or presidents or whatever. Sometimes you see people doing those things. Now, we don't do those things, but uh, in some cultures, you see kneeling a lot more prominent than in our culture. And here, this man was kneeling uh, before Jesus. And it says in Mark's account, the man says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here the man is referring to Jesus as being a good teacher. But in Matthew's account, it reads something like this. He says, teacher, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? And so there, it's different. That's a whole different uh, uh, situation right there. In Mark's account, he's saying Jesus is a good teacher. And in Matthew's account, he's asking what good works he must do. Now, I don't know which of those are correct or incorrect. Perhaps uh, through the years, there have been some differences in, in, in uh, manuscripts. I really don't know. Uh, I didn't research that uh, too deep. Uh, regardless of which one is intended, or maybe both are intended, maybe both were said in some form uh, of the discussion that was taking place, and Matthew only got part of the discussion and Mark got part of the discussion, maybe both of these ideas were said, that Jesus was a good teacher and the man was asking about good works. I don't know exactly which one of those uh, we are to, supposed to take, but both of those uh, could have happened, and both of those really would not cause any problem uh, for us to accept either way. But the key to what is uh, said there, I think, is Jesus' response. Now, Jesus' response also differs between Matthew and Mark's account because of how the question was posed. But the key that Jesus is saying when he's talking about whether it's Jesus is good or whether good works are being focused on, Jesus' response at its core was the same in both accounts. And he said, no one is good but God. Now that's the key that I think we need to take away regardless of which of those uh, ways we are to take it. The key there that Jesus is pointing out to the man is that only God is good. And now in Mark's account here, what Jesus could be saying is, look, you are calling me good teacher, and there is only one who is good, and that is God, and maybe Jesus was giving this young man and those who were listening a hint. You say I'm good, and the man was right to say so. Jesus was good, but Jesus says only God is good, and maybe he was giving him a hint to say if only God is good and you're calling me good, you need to understand that I am God. Now that could be uh, what's going on here. And in Matthew's account where the, the man is asking about good works, and Jesus talks about only God being good. Uh, Jesus could be meaning there that, look, we cannot be saved by our good works. We can never be good enough. If the man's asking, how good do I have to be to inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying, 
You can't be good enough to inherit eternal life. Only God is good. You can't be good enough, but you can trust in God. And so we have the scene set for us here with this rich young ruler asking about inheriting eternal life and Jesus uh, really pointing to God saying, look, only God is good. And I believe pointing to that only uh, God can give eternal life and Jesus himself is God. And perhaps that's the connection he was trying to make. Now, here we see Jesus's response in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now, it's interesting that Jesus points out these, uh, some of the Ten Commandments here, some of the Old Testament laws that the man was to follow. Now, was Jesus saying that we are saved by following the law? Well, clearly, he was not saying that because the rest of Scripture would contradict that. So we can, we can know that Jesus is not saying that we are saved by keeping the law. We are only saved by Jesus. Jesus himself tells us that, that he is the way, the truth, and the light, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Now, we are not saved by keeping the law, but as Christians, there are certain parts of the law that we still are to keep, uh, certain things that at the heart of the reason why God gave the command was this is the way that God's people were to live. And some of the Ten Commandments are repeated throughout the New Testament by Jesus. And Jesus uh, picks out these and he says, here, here's the way you need to live. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying that we are going to be saved if we follow these six commandments that he listed. But I think what he's saying is, look, if you are to be my follower, if you want to be mine, this is the way you are to live. And he uh, expounded on some of these very things in the Sermon of the Mount of Matthew chapter 5 that you can read about. And these are the things that Jesus said, this is the way that you are to live. These are the things that you are to do in your life. This is the way you are to live your life. Now listen to the man's response in verse 20. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Now this is good. This, this guy appears to be a godly man. He knows God's word. He has kept God's word. Now this is good. Now this is not so different from the Pharisees that we've seen. They knew God's word, but they didn't keep the heart of God's word. They kept the letter of the law, but they didn't really care about doing exactly what God's word said. They cared about looking the part. And, uh, and, and as long as they followed the letter of the law, if they let some little things slide here and there, that was of no concern to them. They didn't understand, or they really didn't keep the law, even though they thought they had kept the law. But it appears in reading this account and the other gospel accounts of this story that this man probably was uh, someone who had uh, been keeping the law or legitimately trying to keep the law. So he tells Jesus, all right, Jesus, I'm good. I've done these things since I was a small child. This is a good thing. These are things that we too should do if we want to follow Jesus. Verse 21, then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, now isn't that beautiful thing that Jesus loved this man who came before him? So Jesus loved him. He looked at him and he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So the man had, had succeeded in following these commands and Jesus loved the man. And so Jesus said, look, all you have to do is give up everything you have, give it to the poor and come, follow me. And listen to the man's response in verse 22. But he was stunned at this demand. 
and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now this is a good passage to help us to recognize the cost of discipleship. If we are going to follow Jesus, there is a cost that is involved in that. Now, that cost is not us somehow earning our salvation by our works. Jesus has paid it all by his death on the cross. Our salvation doesn't cost us anything, but when we follow Jesus, it may cost us in some ways. There may be something in our way that is keeping us from following Jesus to the fullest. There may be something in our life that is keeping us from saying, I want to follow Jesus because if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up blank. Now, that blank is different for all of us. For this man, it was his wealth. It was his possessions. Obviously, he loved his wealth and his possessions too much. So much so that when Jesus said, Look, if you want to follow me, listen to my commands, give up everything you have, and follow me. He loved his possession so much that instead of leaving with Jesus, he left grieving because he did not want to give up his possessions. Now, we looked at some examples a few weeks ago where Jesus used some really harsh language where he says, look, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, or your hands or your feet cause you to sin, cut them out. Now, that's strong language, and I believe it's hyperbolic language. That is language that Jesus uses in a strong way to get our attention. I don't believe that Jesus wants us to gouge our eyes out or cut off our hands. And we see another passage here where Jesus says to this man, if you want to be my followers, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Now, is this an absolute statement that Jesus is calling all of his followers to? Well, I don't believe it's an absolute statement that Jesus is calling all of his followers to, but it may be a statement that applies to some of his followers. Because not all of the people who are drawn to Jesus struggle with material things. There may be some of us in this room, and we really love our materialistic things. We love our wealth. And if it come down to it, would we be willing to give up our wealth and our material things to follow Jesus? Well, maybe we would. Maybe we wouldn't. Uh, when it comes to this passage, Jesus used this specific example. I don't believe it's an absolute example, but for this man's life, this was what was hindering him from following Jesus fully. And for some of us, our wealth and possessions may be what hinder us from following Jesus fully. And it may be that Jesus is calling some of us to sell our wealth and give to the poor. I don't know what God is calling to you. You only know that. You need to read God's Word, and you need to pray to God. And maybe there is a time in your life, maybe that time is now, or maybe it will come in the future, where you feel God saying you need to get rid of some possessions, and you need to give those possessions to the poor. You need to give your wealth to the poor, some of your wealth, all of your wealth. Now, that's between you and the Lord. If you feel that perhaps you are like this man and you love your possessions and your wealth too much, perhaps that is a stumbling block for you that the Lord says, look, you need to get rid of those things so that you can follow me more fully. Now, there's one thing I've noticed throughout my life. There's a few preachers and teachers that I have really been drawn to throughout my years, and, and I, I see their ministries, and they appear to be successful. And one thing that I have noticed about these, these pastors that seem to be successful or teachers that seem to be successful. And I don't know this at the time when I start listening to them, 
But at some point in time through the years of me listening to them, there's usually a story that goes something like this. There was a time in my life where I felt God calling me to get rid of this or to give my life savings that we had been saving for to build a house or to buy a car. And we had just about enough and an opportunity come. And I felt like God saying, you need to give that money to help this person or these people. Now, that's a story that I hear commonly throughout people who are successful. Now, that's not to say that if we sell all of our possessions and give it to the poor, that we will instantly be successful in our ministries or that God is going to bless us more greatly or that we are better Christians because we do that. The people that do that are people who do that because they are trusting in the Lord, because they are maturing in the Lord. And their relationship with God leads them to give away their wealth. Giving away their wealth doesn't necessarily make them those mature Christians or grow their relationship with the Lord. Now, we could all say today, I'm going to sell all my possessions to give to the poor. But I believe if our heart is not in it, we may not get the, uh, we may not get the, the joy or the satisfaction or, the, or, or the, the lesson from that that the Lord desires for us to get. And so anything we do, we shouldn't do it just to do it. Uh, we should try to do it with a right heart. And we should be prayerful and say, oh God, okay God, is this something that you may be calling me to do at some point in time? And if it is, then hopefully we will have the strength to be obedient to God and we will not choose our wealth and our possessions over God. Now, this is just one example. This is a particular example of this, this, this man who struggled with his wealth and his possessions. That may not be everybody's struggle, but there may be another struggle for you. There may be something else when I talked about a while ago, filling in that blank. What is that thing that if it meant, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to lose this thing or that thing. Am I willing to do it? Now, we've talked about possessions, but there may be other areas to where saying I'm going to follow Jesus may cost us something. Perhaps it may cost us a job. Maybe where we work at, if it is known that we are a Christian, that we stand on Christian values, that we say, I follow Jesus, and we are questioned about our beliefs, and we say, I stand by God's word. Well, many people in the world don't like God's word, and they don't want to stand by God's word, nor do they want you to stand by God's word. And there may be times in our life when, at our job that by taking a stand for Jesus, that it may cost us our job. Now, that's a big cost right there, right? Because if you're trying to raise a family, if you're trying to pay your bills, and you know that your job may be on the line, if you answer the wrong question about your faith and your trust and your following Jesus and God's word, it's going to cost you your job. Where's the money going to come from to put food on the table? These kind of decisions are not easy decisions to make. We may say in the moment right here today, I will never deny Jesus. I will stand for Jesus and stand on God's word no matter what. But in the moment, it's not always as easy. It's, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'll just lose my job, but it's not that easy. Because how will you feed your children? How will you pay your bills? And so there's a cost involved. If we follow Jesus, it may mean that things are going to be difficult for us. Perhaps it means that we will lose our family. We take a stand for the Lord and the family says, I don't want anything to do with you. And we say, well, that's just crazy. Well, maybe we don't have that problem so much here in the United States. But there are people all around the world where Christianity is frowned upon. 
And when a child in the family tells the parents, I'm going to follow Jesus now, many times families disown their children. Many times children disown their parents. Now don't think that these thoughts are not going through their mind when they, are, when they are reading God's word and the Holy Spirit speaking to them and they realize it's truth and they say, I want to follow Jesus, but if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be cut off from my family. They'll never talk to me again. I won't get to see my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters. If I follow Jesus Christ, I will be an outcast in the family. The cost is a lot. There are lots of things that Christianity may cost us. It cost this man his wealth if he was going to follow Jesus. He was going to have to say, Jesus, I'm going to love you more than I'm going to love my stuff. But he wasn't willing to do that. It may cost us our job. It may cost us our friends. It may cost us our family. It may cost us some suffering. If we feel God calling us to do something, to go to a place to serve people that may be dirty and nasty, where there may not be good food or good water or power. We feel like God's calling us to serve in that way, to go to that place. Boy, it's a great cost. It'll cost you your comfort. It might even cost you your health. There's a lot of cost involved with being a Christian. And maybe sometimes we don't recognize those, those costs. Maybe some of you do recognize those costs. Maybe you're faced with the same decision as this man. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's some other cost. Maybe it's not all your wealth. Maybe it's just some of your wealth. Maybe God's saying, boy, you could use this to help those people. You could use this for my church. You could use this for my kingdom. You could use this for whatever it may be God lays on our heart. And there may be some things that if we're going to follow Jesus that we are going to have to sacrifice. And when we follow Jesus, we have to be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter the cost. I'm going to love you more than I love blank. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I love my will. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I love my family. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I love my children. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I love my job. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I love my church. I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than anything. Because that's really what Christianity is. To say, Jesus, I am putting you above all else and everyone else. And Jesus uses some strong language in uh, Luke chapter 9. He, he speaks uh, about you can't follow him, uh, you can't turn back, you have, to, uh, you have to leave everything and follow him. He uses the same language uh, in Luke chapter 14, a really strong language. He says, look, if you don't hate your family, you can't follow me. Now that's a paraphrase there. And again, Jesus is not saying that we are to hate people in the way that we should typically hate people. But what he's saying is, in those passages, you are to love me more than all those people. You are to love me all of, more than all of those things. You are to put me above all. And anyone who is not willing to put Jesus above all cannot follow Jesus. Now that's strong language. But Jesus speaks on such topics here. And those two instances in Luke, just to name a few. This is strong language that Jesus says, look, you must deny everything and take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus tells this 
rich man here, look, you can follow me, but it's going to cost you. Will you follow me? And that's a question that we need to think about today. We can follow Jesus, but it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us maybe some of those things we mentioned. Maybe it's already cost you some of those things. Maybe it's going to cost you some of those things in the future. Whatever the cost may be, we need to be willing to say, God, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to love you more than whatever the cost. Whatever it may be that I have to give up, dear Lord, it's better for me to give that up and have you than to give you up and have whatever it may be. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That's true. When we have wealth, we have a tendency to trust in our wealth. That's human nature. We, we, we find security in our wealth. We find comfort in our wealth. And oftentimes when people are wealthy, they have no need for God. Why would you need God if you're wealthy? If you have all the clothes you need, all the food you need, you have a nice home, you have a nice car, you have the stuff you need, why in the world would you need God? Oftentimes, the more wealthy people are, the less that they will seek the Lord. Isn't it crazy how hard times will make you seek the Lord? Everybody's good when everything's going good, but as soon as something bad happens, as soon as things get tough, whether it's a hard experience, whether you don't have any money, it's amazing how all of a sudden people will start praying. They'll start praying to a God they've never trusted in that maybe they don't even know who he is, but they, they know they need help. And oftentimes in our wealth, maybe we don't seek the Lord because we trust in our wealth too much. But Jesus says here, look, it's hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Well, let us not fall into the trap that we trust our wealth more than we trust God. Because if we trust our wealth more than we trust God, then we will have our wealth, but we will never have God. We will never spend an eternity with God. That's what this man wanted. He wanted to spend an eternity with God. And Jesus said, if you want to spend an eternity with me, then give everything up and follow me. And Jesus said, it's hard. It's hard when you have a lot to trust God. Verse 24. But the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, here we saw last week where Jesus was talking about children and a few weeks ago. And that's what he refers to the disciples as here. He refers to his disciples as children. He said we needed to be like children. And here he acknowledges that his disciples are his children. And he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's hard for me to get a piece of thread through the eye of a needle, much less a camel. Now, there are some different things you might find when you research this passage. What did Jesus mean there? A popular thought that I hear, and perhaps it's correct, a popular thought that I hear people say is that there was a, a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of a needle, and it was so small that a camel could just barely squeeze through there with his humps, and when he was loaded down, and they would have to take all the load off, and a camel could get on its knees, and it could, it could crawl through this tiny gate called the eye of the needle. Now, I hear that a lot, but I do not think that that's what Jesus meant here. Perhaps there was a gate called the eye of the needle, but that just didn't really make sense. 
There were lots of gates going into Jerusalem. It wouldn't make any sense to make a camel squeeze through a gate that he couldn't squeeze through. I don't think that Jesus was talking about a gate called the eye of the needle, or else Jesus might would have said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. He said through a eye of a needle. Now, perhaps there was a gate there, perhaps there wasn't, but I don't believe that that's what Jesus said, and I believe the context of what Jesus said will clearly tell us that Jesus was not speaking of a literal camel going through a physical gate somewhere in the world because he says, moving forward in verse 26, so they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? They asked that question because they knew it was impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. They didn't think, oh yeah, well there's a gate and a camel can get through there and it's really hard, but if he tries really hard, he can, so some people can be saved. No, the disciples didn't recognize that that's what Jesus was saying because I don't believe that that's what Jesus was saying. They recognized that what Jesus was saying was impossible, and Jesus even says so. Verse 27, looking at them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible. Jesus said, it's, hard, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because he was giving them an illustration of something that was impossible. It's impossible for this to happen. It's impossible for this thing to take place. A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. And his disciples recognized what he was saying. Well, it's impossible to be saved, Jesus. Who can be saved? Because a, a camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible, Jesus. How could anyone in the world ever be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible. That is, we cannot be saved on our own. We cannot be saved, like the rich man said, by our good works. There is no amount of good that we can do to be saved. It is impossible. If you think that you are going to be saved by your good works, then I want you to find a needle, and I want you to find a camel, and I want you to sit there and watch it. And as soon as that camel goes through the eye of that needle, you can be saved by your good works. But guess what? You know as good as I do. You can put a camel in front of a needle from now to the time Jesus returns, and he ain't going through the eye of that needle. Because it's impossible. It's impossible for us to be saved because of anything we do. So who can be saved, the disciples asked. Well, with man, Jesus says it's impossible. But not with God, because all things are possible with God. The only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can obtain the same thing that the rich man wanted, hopefully the same thing that you and I want, eternal life to be saved from our sins and to be with God, the only way we can do that is not by our own abilities, but through God, but through Jesus Christ and Christ crucified, by Jesus on the cross. He took something that was impossible for us to be saved on our own, and he made it possible by giving his life as a ransom for us to pay the price for us. And so the only way it's possible for us to be saved, for us to be forgiven, is to trust Jesus. The only way for us to obtain eternal life is for us to trust Jesus. Peter says in verse 28, Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Now the disciples, they did. They did leave. You, you remember if you read about them or study about them, you'll see that they were fishermen. They were fishing some of them. They had jobs, tax collectors, whatever it may be. And Jesus would go to them and he would say, come on, boys, follow me. And they left their stuff and they followed Jesus. 
And they did leave everything to follow Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says in verse 29, I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left brother or sister, mother or father, children or fields because of me in the gospel who will not receive 100 times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. Now Jesus said, look, you say you've left everything to follow me, that's a good thing. Because there is no person who has left everything to follow me that Jesus says will not receive a hundred times more. Anybody that follows Jesus, that leaves everything to follow Jesus, no matter how hard it may be, it will be worth it. Jesus says anyone who has left everything to follow me will be blessed beyond measure. A hundred times more. Now sometimes we are blessed in this world. Sometimes we are when we follow Jesus. He blesses us in various different ways and praise God for that. But he also says at the end of this list of things, look, yeah, I'm going to bless you with houses and brothers and mothers and sisters and also with persecutions. Well, we don't like that part. We like to think about, boy, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to give and I'm going to do and God's going to bless my bank account and he's going to bless my efforts and he's going to bless my life. And we like to think about that. Oh, and persecutions too. Anyone who has left everything to follow Jesus, there's also going to be persecutions. Jesus says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, when you follow me, you're going to be persecuted, but you are blessed when you are persecuted for my name's sake. Jesus tells the disciples here, look, if you have left everything and followed me, you're going to be blessed. But know, but know that there's also going to come persecution. Now that's the same for you and I too. Maybe we could be like Peter today and we could say, Lord, I have left everything to follow you. Lord, I will give everything to follow you. Maybe we can say that and mean it and do it if the time comes. Maybe we can't. Maybe we're more like the rich young man. Maybe we can't say, Lord, I've left everything to follow you. Maybe there are some things that you are holding on to in your life. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it may be, though. Maybe today you need to say, God, I'm holding on to some things, but I'm going to give them up because I'm going to follow you. And when we do that, we can take Jesus at his word here and know that we are going to be blessed a hundredfold for anything that we've given up in this world. God will bless us abundantly in eternity. But know that when we follow Jesus, persecutions will also come. Verse 30, 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now we see this passage several times throughout the New Testament. We see Jesus say this very thing. and It kind of keeps coming around. And it's fitting here in the context of what we're talking about. Because many people in this world who are wealthy are the first. They get the best of the best. The celebrities get the seat of honor. They get the most money. They get the finest hotel rooms when they travel. They get the best treatment. They get the best food. They get the best seats at events. They are first in this world because of their wealth. And perhaps this man who came to Jesus was very wealthy, maybe one of the wealthiest in the community. Who knows? Perhaps in that community, in that neighborhood, he was first. And maybe he even thought, boy, I'm first. I'm good. I got wealth. 
He came to Jesus. He felt good because he followed the commands. He was in good shape. But he wasn't willing to give everything to follow the Lord. And even though he was first in this life, he'll be last in the life to come. Now that's true for many people, and we don't have to be millionaires for that to be true for us. But Jesus says, but those who are last will be first. To be last means that we are to humble ourselves. That we are to say, God, I'm not worried about myself. I'm not worried about the seat of honor. I'm going to sit in the back. I'm going to give the other person uh, the best piece of food on the table. God, I'm going to sacrifice some of my comfort to help somebody else. I'm not going to make it be about me, dear Lord. I'm going to serve other people so that hopefully they can see you. Those who are first will be last. There are many people in this world that when the day of judgment comes and they stand before God, they are probably going to be trusting in their money and the things that they've done. And they're going to stand before God and he is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, but God, I gave so much of my wealth. I did so many things. I went to church occasionally. I did a lot of good. God, look at this good that I did. Look at the good works that I did. Don't they weigh up, dear Lord? Don't they, don't, they, don't they help me to earn favor with you? And God's going to say, get from the front of the line and get to the back of the line. But there are many who are at the back of the line now who are poor, who are needy, who are hopeless, who are helpless, and they have trusted in God. And God's going to look at them and he's going to say, come up here. Come up here, my child. And those people who trusted in whatever it was in this world are going to be at the back of the line. And those who they treated poorly in this world are moving to the front. Now we need to make an effort in our life not to try to make sure that we are first. We don't want to put ourselves in the spotlight. We want to put Jesus in the spotlight. We want to say, Jesus, I want to follow you above all. Jesus, I'll do what I have to do to follow you. Maybe there's something in your life today you need to give up. Maybe you're like this rich man. Maybe you're focusing on your good works. But Jesus said, you might as well stop. It's impossible. But through Jesus Christ, all things are possible. He can forgive your sins. He can help you get through whatever you're going through in life. And it's not always easy. But he's the one we can trust. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these good words. And this is tough stuff, dear Lord. And I pray that you help us to examine our lives. And maybe there are things, dear Lord, that we put before you. And I pray that we would repent of those things and that we would put you first. And that we would let everything we do, God, be for your glory. God, help us not to ever be proud and think too highly of ourselves, God. Those temptations may come. They may come more to some than others. But help us to put you first, dear Lord. Help us to trust you with all of our heart. Help us not to be like this man that, that chooses things of the world over you, dear Lord. And things of the world are tempting, God. But God, you're, you're far better than anything in this world. And help us to see that through your word, through your love, through your grace, through your mercy. And dear Lord God, I pray that you help us to see your blessing. And know that, God, the best that this world has to offer is, is nothing compared to what you want to offer for eternity. 
So God, I pray that you just would be with us today. If there's one in this room that's been trying to earn favor with you through good works, God, I pray that today they recognize it's impossible. It's just not possible, God. But I pray today that they know that through Jesus Christ, all things are possible. Through Jesus' death on the cross, it made it possible for us to be forgiven, for us to be part of your kingdom, and for us to inherit eternal life. And if there's one that's never followed Jesus, I pray today, God, that in this moment that they would follow him, they would trust in you with all their heart, and that they would follow through in baptism just as your word commands. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.